Mahomes, timing route, down the sideline, it's caught, touchdown! Brady pumps, looking for Brown deep, and throwing for Brown. He's got it at the 30, the 20, the 10, the Patriots have won! Welcome back to Touchdown with Tom and Will in the first episode of our new series, Off-Season Weekly. That's the first episode we've done, Tom, since we were crowned 2020 Manchester University Best Podcast. That was a shock, wasn't it? I know it was, yeah. We had the, um, the award ceremony via Zoom and we saw both logged on with our screens hidden, thinking, oh, we'll just sort of watch this pass us by. And then the, the, the kind young lady doing the, the presenting of the award Started talking with talking with loads of NFL puns, and yeah. I lost my cool completely. I was like, "Oh my goodness, it's us! It's gonna be us!" It was a weird. It was a weird ceremony where if you won the award, you were meant to like turn your mic on and like give a little speech. But neither myself nor Tom was fully prepared for this. Um, with the two other podcasts slightly more established than us, um, if not as good, clearly. Yeah, uh, clearly not as good. We were suddenly announced, and we both kind of panically turned it on and were like. Oh, cool. Thanks. Uh, the least prepared. It was awful. It was awful. And everyone, everyone was like, oh, cheers. And the worst bit afterwards was I turned, I turned off my camera, burst out laughing, and it was an embarrassingly loud cackle. Yeah. And then I realised that my mic was still on, yeah. and everyone still in the ceremony was like, what was that weird noise? And it was me just like... I think I did exactly the same. I think my camera was on. I was like, yay. And I mean, that was like... <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, thank you to all at, all at Fuse FM and the panel for that. And um, it's great to be kind of given some recognition for the work we put into the podcast and the work we've tried to put in over the last few weeks, even during lockdown with our drafts content and um, fantastic to be recognised. And now we're going to be back to doing weekly shows, even though it's by Zoom at the moment, um, weekly shows during the off season, kind of recap everything that's going on, any big stories, there are still trades, there are still free agents. Um, and moving towards the preseason, which hopefully will be taking place um, without fans, probably, but taking place in August. Um, so this show we've kind of got in three parts. We're going to talk topically about the Black Lives Matter movement because we think it has to be discussed, especially the side of it which relates so heavily to the NFL in terms of taking the knee and the involvement Colin Kaepernick has had. Um, and we'll then move on to talking about some more small stories that have kind of taken place over the last week. Um, and finally, we're going to do some predictions, some early predictions. Um, but AFC standings next year. So, Tom, do you want to start us off? We'll talk about Black Lives Matter, um, and we're going to talk about the role the NFL had to play in this and kind of the U-turn the NFL themselves have taken on their stance um, towards the movement. So, yeah, it's obviously been a, a massive topic of conversation in the broader sphere of sport. Last night, we saw all the Premier League players having Black Lives Matter on the back of their shirts when they kicked off, and they had, took a knee for the first eight seconds. And taking a knee, as Will made a point, has been a peaceful protest against police brutality and in sort of support of the Black Lives Matter movement since Colin Kaepernick started doing it in 2016. And he took a knee for the first... Well, actually, he started by in the preseason games in the 2016 season by sitting down on the bench during the national anthem. And then he... Just, he conferred with um, war veterans to try and find out the most respectful way to peacefully protest during the national anthem without disrespecting America's army veterans. A lot of the national anthem before the game is built around sort of national pride and a lot of American national pride is based on their, their army and their veterans. And so Colin Kaepernick really wanted to make a point about protesting so the police brutality and the, the Black Lives Matter and racism as a whole in the most peaceful way possible. And so he took a knee and this was widely sort of criticised by the NFL and general fans. There was support, of course, from other players, people such as Eric Reid, Brandon Marshall, also took knees during the National Anthem. But then it got to a really ugly point where people like Donald Trump we're calling them, I'm not even sure if we're allowed to use the words on the podcast. I think so. We're not on Fuse FM anymore. So sons of bitches who needed to be fired um, and really criticising them. Owners unanimous, unan, unanimously voted for um, an approval of a policy to fine players who would take a knee 
during the national anthems. That was in 2018, a couple of years after Colin Kaepernick started. And famously, Colin Kaepernick lost his job in the NFL. He was never re-signed by the San Francisco 49ers after his contract ran out. And since then, he hasn't had a job in the NFL. This is a guy who took the 49ers to a Super Bowl. And basically, since he has made this stand, took this knee in support of Black Lives Matter, has been really slandered for four years since. And now since the George Floyd murder, it's sort of resurfaced as a topic of conversation. And really, the NFL has taken a massive U-turn with Commissioner Roger Goodell making a statement the other day saying, and this is really clearly states how big of a mistake was made four years ago. He said, we at the National Football League were wrong. We believe in Black Lives Matter and protests that are emblematic of the centuries of silence, inequality, and the oppression of black players, coaches, fans, and staff. We are listening, implying that four years ago, they got it really wrong in criticising Colin Kaepernick and co taking a knee during the national anthem. And now the NFL is essentially apologising to those players and Colin especially and saying we need to do better, which is a massive... We spoke about U-turns in British um, sort of politics this week with Marcus Rashford and the um, children free school meals. This has been a massive U-turn from the NFL. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of a number of sides to this. And I think you've outlined the overall picture there really well, Tom. I think it's very unusual for a big organisation, governmental or corporate of any sort, to fully admit we've made a mistake in the way the NFL have. Now, that's not at all condoning what they did in the past or saying that they've 100% got it right now. But it's very rare that they come out with a statement on the lines of like they've said literally, we were wrong. So that is good. That is progress at least. But what they did shouldn't be forgotten. These players weren't just told they shouldn't take a knee. They weren't just told they'd be fined. The eventual um, uh, conclusion, the deal they made, was they should stay in the changing rooms instead of coming out and taking a knee. So what they were doing was further silencing them. Because while these players were, take, were doing whatever they wanted to do in the changing room and not be allowed on the pitch, they basically said, not only do we not agree with your protest, we want to completely silence it. Um, and it was disgraceful. And the issue was that all the owners of the teams knew there was a portion of their fan base that were in agreement with the NFL and you know, agreed that, that taking the knee was disrespecting America, disrespecting the flag, not that it was protesting the sort side of America which has... Um, institutional racism, particularly the police force. So it, the NFL really did come down on the wrong side of history there. And they're now trying to repair it. And they've announced that they're going to commit $250 million over the next 10 years for social justice programs. And that's all great. And we have to applaud that. And at least they are learning and correcting mistakes of the past. But the NFL 100% was on the wrong side of history. And Colin Kaepernick, four years later, still doesn't have a team. Um, the point about Colin Kaepernick not being good enough or that he wasn't the player he was before, I think really doesn't stand. People say that he wasn't as good as the year he took to the 49ers to the Super Bowl, but I just found some stats from his final year in the NFL. Now, bear in mind, the 49ers did go 1-10 during the 11 games he played, and that's what makes him look really bad. But in those 11 games, he scored 18 touchdowns through four interceptions, had 91% passing completion. So I don't think that's really fair, and I don't think that was indicative. The 49ers' bad season there was indicative of Colin Kaepernick but it's been used as kind of a scapegoat as to why he hasn't got a team since. But I think anyone who knows the game and knows his skills know that's not the reason. Yeah, no, definitely. And so people have, as you said, said that he wasn't being blackballed, he was, which is the term for sort of shut out. He was um, maybe, he wasn't re-signed on ability. But some, some of the players, some of his teammates at the time, or even some players in the NFL, point to some of the, the backup quarterbacks. And we've spoken a lot on this show about backup quarterbacks who make a living being a backup. And to yeah. say that, some, that Colin Kaepernick wasn't better than any of them is an absolute joke, really. I mean, Bears um, defensive lineman Akeem Hicks said, we signed Mike Glennon yeah. earlier this week. It was just like, sort of, or two weeks ago, sort of showing the, the sort of step that, club, that teams made, signing up these quarterbacks who definitely aren't sort of the pedigree as Colin Kaepernick was hopefully still is, and there's sort of more evidence that he was being blackballed. I think the main thing that was my takeaways from this, and at the time, was that 
the NFL and the, and the fan base got it completely wrong. They didn't understand why the players were taking the knee or what the reason behind it was. And the fact that, I think that is a little bit as well, the fact that they weren't, people weren't open to have difficult conversations. Absolutely. And so sort of they pushed it onto disrespecting war veterans because they weren't really prepared to open up and to be criticised in the ways that we are, people are trying to push these days, especially in the, the light of the Black Lives Matter sort of resurgence in the last couple of weeks. So they're, they're sort of blaming it or sort of criticising it for disrespecting war veterans, for me, is just bonkers, considering that Colin Kaepernick and others spoke to war veterans. How is, the, is this disrespecting you? No, it's not. Colin Kaepernick wasn't even the first person to ever kneel during the national anthem. Tim Tebow, white quarterback for the Bears at the time, kneeled in 2011 as if in prayer. So even the action of kneeling then right. wasn't criticised and wasn't sort of said, oh, that is disrespectful. Why isn't he standing? And it just makes you sort of, it, it baffles you and it sort of, it opens up conversations like white privilege and trying to understand things from different perspectives that clearly people weren't able to four years ago. And just, you just pray, hopefully, people are today. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the, what they call a shield, which is kind of the NFL body, it's kind of a colloquial term. The shield clearly being more open, whether that's through pressure or otherwise, I don't think it necessarily matters to allowing this form of protest and to opening up where they've got wrong in the past um, is good. When you talk about the veterans, there's actually a guy called Nate Boyer, who is this kind of incredible story of a veteran who didn't actually play a single game of organized football until going to college, which is like pretty incredible by itself. But then you take away the fact that he didn't actually go to college till he was 29. So he joined the U.S. Army, served in Afghanistan and Iraq, then went to Texas University when he turned 29, redshirted, and played 36 straight games uh, as a long snapper for the Texas team. He then gets signed for Seattle, so becomes a veteran uh, from the military, starting or not starting. I think mean, he actually only played one full preseason game, but basically on the Seattle Seahawks roster. And it was he who talked to Kaepernick at the time and said to him, I will stand by you as you take the knee, but I think taking the knee is respectful of all sides, but also is still a powerful form of process. And talking about Seattle, actually, I think Pete Carroll has said quite recently that he was offered the chance of signing Kaepernick. The reason he didn't was he didn't think it was fair on Kaepernick to possibly be a backup to Russell Wilson because he knew he was easily a starting quarterback. So the argument, like you were saying, Tom, that Kaepernick hasn't been the top 64 quarterbacks in the league as in starters and backups over the last four years. It's so unbelievably ludicrous. And it just hasn't had an owner of a team that's needed a quarterback to kind of, you know, actually have the guts to go against segments of his supporter group who are outwardly wrong. Like, there's no, there's no discussion here who are wrong in their viewpoint on taking the knee um, and sign him. But we were talking about his possible landing spots, um, places that could sign him if he does return to the league next year i've heard chargers patriots titans for different reasons what do you think tom well it's really interesting isn't it where he could possibly land because essentially i think it just boils down to what he wants from his sort of career yeah. and so whether as you say whether he is prepared to be a backup and maybe at the start and it also boils down to the sort of the system that he's going into he can't just go anywhere and right. so chris chris um anthony lynn sorry is um is the Chargers head coach, African-American. And he says that Colin Kaepernick fits their system and he is perfectly willing to be open sort of conversations with Kaepernick about coming in for a tryout. He says he's happy with his three quarterbacks. Obviously, they brought in Justin Herbert in the first round. They've got um, Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor as well. And so Anthony Lim at the Chargers is pretty, pretty open to bringing in Cap. Pete Carroll, as you said, seems to be keen to get him in for a trial if, as you say, he's prepared to potentially sit behind Russell Wilson and be a backup. It's really interesting to sort of see what Kaepernick is willing to do as well. And I, can't, I can't believe Kaepernick has got the opinion, especially after four years out of the league, whether that be for the right reasons or not. And overwhelmingly, it feels like it's been for the wrong reasons on the part of owners refusing to 
to give him a chance in other teams. But I can't believe that Kaepernick would be saying, I will only take a starting spot right now, having not you know, taken a snap in four years. Um, but I'm sure he'd want to go somewhere where he was going to have a competitive chance at a snap. And going yeah. into a franchise like Seattle, like New Orleans, where your chance of getting a snap over future Hall of Famers is is difficult, is is different to somewhere like the Chargers, yeah. the, where you're a very serious chance you could compete um, for that role, or the currently quarterback less Patriots. Which well, still- yeah, there are plenty of actually landing spots which could work really, really nicely for Colin Kaepernick. My, my personal favourite is the Chargers, if Anthony Lynn says that yeah. Cap does fit the system that they're trying to bring in. I wonder whether Cap will sort of suit the Patriots system as much. They sort of like their sort of pocket passer, not particularly mobile, sort of spraying out, whereas Kaepernick does base a lot of his, or did four years ago, a lot of his game on the sort of the run game. But, yeah. So that's why for me, the Chargers could be, it could be the perfect spot for him if the system works. They haven't got a starting quarterback yet. They brought in Justin Herbert. Ideally, I would say, Anthony Lynn would like Justin Herbert to sit for a year if he's got the choice between Colin Kaepernick and Tyrod Taylor. Some teams even carry three quarterbacks. Some teams are even saying with the coronavirus out, outbreak, they might now really consider carrying three quarterbacks for the whole season because if one goes down with an illness, they need the backup. And so maybe three quarterbacks, four, four quarterbacks, maybe four quarterbacks in the Chargers, I don't know. But the Chargers for me seems like a really good place for them to fall. Yeah, we've seen teams actually make the playoffs or have very decently successful seasons while fielding at least three quarterbacks. And the Steelers only missed out in the playoffs by one game last year. They fielded three quarterbacks. New Orleans field at least three quarterbacks regularly. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's, there's no reason a team can't rotate for different purposes. And some quarterbacks are much more suited to the kind of ground game um, than they are throwing it long. I don't think there's any reason why, why Kaepernick wouldn't suit San Diego. He spent his entire life on the West Coast, went to university in Nevada. So... Um, I think that definitely would work. I'd love to see him back in the league, but I think there's, the people that are saying he's back in the league are not saying that he shouldn't be back in the league on merit. This isn't that Kaepernick should be back in the league because of his protest. It's that he is a good enough quarterback to compete in the NFL. And then regardless of the fact that he's been shot out because of protests, his talent should be in the league. And it's a complete disgrace that it's not, especially in the circumstances of which it's been removed from the league. So it's horrendous that it's taken an event like George Floyd's murder to bring this to light in the way it has. But the minimum we can take from it is that since it happened, things are starting to change in some way. People are having the uncomfortable conversations that weren't happened before. Goodell is making statements that he wasn't making two years ago. The NFL is changing its uh, perspective on some of these issues, such as taking the knee. And hopefully genuine progress can be seen um, over the next season or two. I think you've summed it up really nicely there. The sort of George Floyd's murder was grimly symbolic with the kneeling, whole kneeling protests, isn't it? And yeah. actually, these difficult conversations are starting to be had, even in a more public sphere. For example, Drew Brees sort of summed up the sort of backward thinking that we highlighted earlier, saying that he didn't agree with kneeling. This was in 2020. He said he wouldn't be taking a knee because when he hears the national anthem, he thinks of his grandfather who served, a war veteran. And he thinks it'd be disrespectful to take a knee. And that really didn't sit well with plenty of players in the NFL, plenty of Drew Brees' teammates, people like Michael Thomas, sent him messages about the situation, saying how disrespected they felt. And actually, Drew Brees came under a lot of criticism. And again, like the NFL, maybe held up his hands, apologised quite genuinely, I felt, seeing his, his apology. And said that he was opening, open to listening and trying to understand more the struggles of the Black Lives Matter movement. And that sort of might, again, just symbolise that in just that little story, the whole bigger picture of the situation potentially having a turning point. You've got other white, white players in the NFL showing their active support for this movement. Someone like Baker Mayfield, when asked when he was gonna, if, if he was going to kneel, someone who we've criticised, Will, saying, I will be absolutely kneeling yeah. because of his support. And that wouldn't have happened four years ago. Yeah, and I think that point about Drew Brees is, is key in the way you summarised it because one of the messages that come out of this, which I think should be highlighted more, is the idea that it's not enough to be, to, not enough to not be racist. You have to be actively anti-racist, right? Yeah. So the idea that, I don't think anyone was saying that Drew Brees said, made Drew Brees racist. 
but it made it that he wasn't actively anti-racist because if you're actively anti-racist, you wouldn't be criticizing someone taking a knee in uh, protest of the discrimination they face in their country. And I think that's the kind of hurdle that we're starting to get over in having the conversations about, okay, no one's saying that you are necessarily a racist, but you're not doing enough to address the issues, have the conversation. So we are, I hope, slowly making progress that should have been happening decades, centuries ago, but slowly um, getting there. And hopefully we see Kaepernick on the team and hopefully the NFL support those taking a knee throughout the season because I won't believe that quite until I fully see it. Um, people saying that this won't put on camera the people taking a knee. I've seen things about that. That hasn't been confirmed in any way, but um, I really hope we see some progress over the next year. And Kaepernick gets a team we get to see him because I don't think either of us, since we truly started following the NFL, have seen Kaepernick playing live um, and we'd love to see him performing. No, uh, absolutely. I think it definitely just, yeah, finally, it definitely is opened up questions which even I wasn't thinking about four years ago or maybe people even in the UK are starting to think more about how they've experienced sort of white privilege and stuff yeah. like that. I mentioned Baker Mayfield and who's come under heavy criticism for his attitude. Remember when he was at college he actually there was a, a video of him running from the police and you think back to Richard Brooks's murder the other day and it sort of puts into context the difference between a white life and a black life yeah if you, definitely and you run from the police in the states the chances are you will be grabbed and pinned down and handcuffed and then walked away and possibly asked if you want some food um the difference for a black man protesting his police arrest often under unfair circumstances is um a death sentence and that's the kind of thing that needs to be highlighted more and is is over the last couple of months um and changing hopefully so yeah i think it was very key we, we addressed that in the podcast and continue to i mean that's also the point is that this isn't just some, a conversation to be had wow it's popular in the news but continue to address and look at these issues and challenge ourselves on our own perspectives on the issues kaepernick to throw it or willing kaepernick long strides kaepernick with a flag down stutter step move kaepernick breaking to the clear it's a foot race and nobody will catch colin kaepernick Touchdown on a 90-yard run. Let's move on to what we saw this week. Things are happening. Just because the NFL is not happening, just because there's no draft and combine right now, and preseason hasn't quite started, does not mean the NFL is quiet. It's a 52-week season in terms of the newsreel. Um, and Tom, you've seen some pretty entertaining content on social media I saw um, of players seemingly abandoning their teams and having these kind of all-star workouts. Yeah, no. I, I, in my notes, I've titled it All-Stars Training Together. And it's sort of, it's, it's, on your point, it feels like this off-season, Will, more is happening because there's less to talk about. I don't know whether that's just because people are maybe posting more that they're working out. We saw Tom Brady working out in parks during lockdown, famously criticised. And I don't know whether we're just sort of becoming more aware of some fun stories just because there might not be anything else to talk about. But one thing I did come across on Instagram is some of these all-stars from different teams working out together. and so just for a bit of context, working out in this sort of context is throwing a ball around. It's not just pumping iron in the sort of British working out sense. Working out is training together, running routes, throwing the ball to each other, really getting into the nitty gritty of NFL, of the Amer of American football, sorry. So there was another famous, like famously free agent at the moment, Cam Newton, still doesn't have a team. Him and um, the largely outspoken Odell Beckham Jr., Put, put, put together a video of them working out and um, it's all part of I think Cam's marketing campaign he's been really active during this offseason to try and show how hard he's working how much he deserves a place on the team him and OBJ they were training together those are two massive even just personalities in the NFL aren't they like they're actually players whose personalities are wider than just the sport they're international and then yeah, last night I was just flicking through Instagram and I saw a training camp with Jordan Palmer, who's sort of this quarterback guru, uh, brother of Jordan, brother of Carson Palmer, the Cardinals and Bengals quarterback. He basically was coaching Sam Darnold, who's the, Jet, the Jets quarterback, Carl Allen, who's the Washington, a Washington quarterback, Saquon Barkley, who's a running back for the New York Giants, and Christian McCaffrey, who is a Panthers running back they were all working out together and Joe Burrow was there as well 
the Bengals' number one overall pick. They're all working out together at UCLA, throwing the ball, running routes, getting coaching together. And it's just, I don't know, it makes you smile a little bit. It's kind of nice to see. It's, you see it. You see it a lot in basketball during the off-season. You see these kind of pick-up games where it's kind of three or four players playing together from across teams. It gets a lot of content. I think that's partly because the basketball players often live in kind of very similar areas during the off-season. They live down in Florida or in California. Um, but you don't see it as much in NFL. But it's kind of really cool to see. It kind of like the fantasy stuff of dreams as in you can have these five players in your fantasy team and the idea of them playing together is absurd and brilliant. I like the fact that Saquon Barkley is basically playing wide receiver um to the players in that workout um and it, it was really cool to see and i think it shows that uh obviously lockdown restrictions aren't as tight everywhere because they're throwing footballs together and it's not being widely condemned so that whether that's for good or for bad is a separate matter but um yeah it is really cool to see these players playing together there's some sort of camaraderie around the sport um and, and just love the love of the game and then getting to play together uh so, yeah, really cool to see. In terms of, like, off-season content, we'll take anything right now. <laughs> i tell you what, as well, for, for English people, this is quite cool. Like, this doesn't really happen yeah. in English sport. Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't really imagine... Well, except for maybe in an international context where maybe the top England players are obviously going to train together and you don't get that in American football because there's no USA American football team. Yeah. It's like... So, you wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine sort of, like, the Man City... Oh, a Man, a Man United and a Liverpool player training together in a park. You just, I, can't, I can't picture it. I can't, I can't see Gerrard and Giggs yeah. and Neville sort of just practising corners. Like, right. That's just unimaginable. Whereas Sam Darnold from the New York Jets and Saquon Barkley from the New York Giants, two massive rivals, here they are genuinely practising and preparing for the season together. Yeah. There, is, there is something in US sports about there being... I'm not saying this is overall, and it's obviously talking from a, from a distance, but there's not quite the hatred of anyone that represents the other shirt in the way we have here. Um, but it's still good to see them playing together. And what's interesting about it, when you mentioned the difference between football over here, when players are interviewed from that kind of uh, UK football golden generation, early noughties team, and they're asked, why didn't it work in 2004 and 2006 when you had Gerard and Lampard and Terry and Ferdinand playing together? And they often say, I think it might be Ferdinand actually said this exactly, was that we hated each other. Yeah. We were so competitive against each other through 40 weeks of the year that when we met up for England, it was impossible to go from that kind of position on the pitch of serious, intense, competitive nature to suddenly working together. And they literally struggled to work together in a way that they maybe England team has been able to in more recent years when they've had more players from a higher variety of clubs, players from Leicester get involved in Southampton, um, and just other clubs outside that kind of top big four. It was so solid at the time. Um, and maybe what's great to see here is even though these players don't compete internationally, it is healthy to be able to compete with players of a team and train with players of a team. Um, and it's great for us in terms of content to, content to watch. But yeah, cool to see them doing that. Um, and hopefully we see more of that content over the next few weeks. The best thing you get is the all-star games in basketball. In football, you have all-star weekend at the end, but I've heard a lot of players saying they hate oh, yeah. it because there's no tackles. Um, but the All-Star game is another example of that, which fans can look forward to watching. Um, yeah. These weird combinations of quarterbacks and wide receivers. Um, that's, that's, that's the Pro Bowl, isn't it? And that was also announced this year. It's going to be held in Vegas in their new stadium. Yeah. So that's quite exciting. Like, that is something to look forward to. Not just the Pro Bowl, but also Vegas' new stadium. There's plenty of little things that you can start getting excited about and you just cross your fingers. You pray yeah. that it's all going to work out and we're going to have a season. Even yeah. if we don't have quite the same off-season. Yeah, the NFL have said nothing about a season being cancelled, from my knowledge. I mean, the lack of fans seems almost accepted, um, at least in a lot of situations. But they're still saying that maybe in some places they might be able to have fans. Florida have been extremely relaxed. Everything seems to be moving to Florida. The conclusion of the NBA season's in Florida. That's still without fans. So I don't think we're going to be seeing fans this side of the new year. But if there are games happening, we'll be watching, and that's all we need, really. The saddest thing... From a British perspective, is that the four London games have been cancelled, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, because there was there was so much preparation that goes towards those games, they couldn't have it being done, not knowing if it was absolutely possible to happen. So that has happened, but they also confirmed that it will be happening like normal from the following season. So those English games will be back, um, and unfortunately, European and British fans will have to wait one more year to see their teams on our own home soil. 
Um, no, no, which, I was done. It was also going to be the first year that the Jags were going to play two back-to-back games in London. Yeah. And that is, we and Will, again, we've spoken about in previous podcasts, this potential, can a, can a franchise move to London? Oh, and COVID just pushes yeah. all our dreams back a notch. Does, that, that whole Jags playing two games in London was a big kind of wink-wink nudge to, <laughs> oh, could a team base itself the other side of the pond. It was, it's, it's so obvious and yet they don't want to say anything about it, but we know that the Jaguars owner owns Fulham. We know that he tried to buy Wembley Stadium. We know the Jaguars are consistently bottom five in home attendance and that there are two other teams in Florida. I mean, everything points to the possibility of the London Jaguars. Um, but, you know, we hold our breath and we wait a few more years, which I think is what it will take. But progress still happening um, towards that. So, is there anything else you want to talk about, Tom, in terms of what's happened this week? It's been a fairly quiet week outside of the obvious, which we've already discussed in, in depth. I think the only thing I, I was slightly going to pick your brains on is we spoke about the Jaguars and they, they traded their big signing last year, Nick Foles, obviously quarterback, Super Bowl MVP to the Bears, who have Mitchell Trubisky, who they took with the number two pick a few years ago. And Mitchell Trubisky said today, said four days ago, I still feel like this is my team, talking about the Chicago Bears. We mentioned Carl Allen, who's working out with Saquon and Christian McCaffrey. He's gone to Washington Redskins. He's going to battle it out with Dwayne Haskins. Are there any other sort of quarterback battles within a team that you're excited about? Or what do you think of these two? With, with those two, I, they're both very interesting ones. I think the Washington one is possibly the most open in the league because Carl Allen actually under a lot of pressure and obviously a huge amount of help from Christian McCaffrey performed fairly well over a decent run with the Pampers um, and showed a huge amount of potential in his first kind of full season competing. Meanwhile, Drain Haskins didn't really live up um, to a lot of the expectation in Washington. Obviously it's Ron Riviera um, who is Khan's old coach bringing him to Washington. As you think, why would you be taking a backup to be back up somewhere else if you only ever saw him being a backup. I don't really imagine that. So that is fascinating to watch play out, um, especially with them both being so young. In Chicago, I can't tell. I mean, Mitch Trubisky gets a huge amount of kind of hate and doubt on him on social media, which wasn't really coming his first year. His second year was obviously a bit less, a bit less um, successful. Um, in his first year, they really should have gone further in the playoffs and there probably would have been none of this condemnation of his performances. I still don't believe Nick Foles is a top 24 NFL quarterback. Yeah. I think that bottom kind of bracket of, yes, he's a starter, but just he does a job. Um, and I, I think I'm kind of pleased that Mitch Trubisky's made that kind of statement and come out being like, this is my oh, team. Wow, if he doesn't have the perspective, then you shouldn't even be doing it. You've got to believe as a potential starting quarterback that it's your team or there's no point in even trying. Um, Another interesting one I want to talk about, which is not quite the same dynamic as those two, is the fact the Jets picked up Joe Flacco um, in free agency. Yeah. Very successful quarterback um, with Baltimore over a long time. Obviously, he got beat out once Lamar Jackson came in um, and then had a very fairly unsuccessful year in, in Denver. But um, still a very experienced quarterback. Before Sam Darnold had Josh McGowan, who had played for like nine 10, 11 teams, who was good to have an experience-wise, but he wasn't a player that had kind of started, led a franchise for eight, nine years like Joe Flacco has. So I'm really pleased about that. Um, I think it takes a bit of weight off Sam Darnold in that he is definitely still the Jets' number one priority. He is QB1, but if things aren't going to plan or if he does pick up injuries like he has in the past, the Jets fans will have a bit more reassurance of Joe Flacco. Um, but with them, it's really about integrating their, their additions on in the offence and in terms of any other ones, I'm excited to see. Now you're gonna to have to give me his, his name. The uh, Buffalo Bills signing in from the draft to compete with um, Josh Allen. Uh, oh, Jake Fromm. Yeah. So from the he, from, from the start here, I'm excited to see Jake Fromm. Obviously, him from QB One, the Netflix series. <laughs> Fans of the series will have watched go through high school. Has then finished his career in college and is now joining the Buffalo Bills to supposedly compete with Josh Allen. Now, I think we like Josh Allen a lot on this show. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of proved a lot of doubters wrong from that draft and shown that he's more than just a big arm. But I am still excited as a fan, as a fan of the show that we watched on Netflix, where you, if those who haven't seen, 
followed kind of these top elite high school quarterbacks with the amount of pressure on them entering the college scene. Um, so excited to see how Jake from performs up in Buffalo. But those are my two, both in the AFC East, actually, which we'll discuss soon. But um, those are my two that I'm interested to watch. Tannehill. Pressure. Oh, he goes down. Frank Clark got him. And this game is over. And so is the 50-year drought between Super Bowls. Kansas City waited all year, lost last year at the end in a heartbreaker. Tennessee with an incredible Cinderella story to get here. But Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, these guys are... We need to move on to our final section of the show. This week, we're going to be doing our AFC predictions. I mean, we'll do love a prediction. We do love putting our opinions out there. Perfectly, perfectly happy to get them wrong as well, may I just add. And we thought with the first episode of Off-Season Weekly, this was a nice place to start with the AFC, having the current Super Bowl champs in the AFC. And so we're going to go through the North, South, East and West and sort of pick out who we think could be the, the division winners or maybe potential wildcard candidates. And I think we may as well start in the, in the West, the AFC West, with the Super Bowl champs, Kansas City. Yeah, can anyone in that division get close to Kansas City? I don't think so yet. Um, I think there are some interesting franchises here. Obviously, you've got Kansas City uh, Chiefs, you've got Denver Broncos, the Oakland Raiders, the LA Chargers. The LA Chargers last year had this kind of tragic run of games where they finished 5-11, but they, I think there were about five or six of those games that they lost by less than a score. So that very easily could have been 10-6, and we'd have been talking about them in a very different vein. So I think the LA Chargers have potential. It obviously really depends what happens with Justin Herbert. They've obviously lost Philip Rivers, their quarterback for the last decade. Um, so we're interested to see how he develops. But they've got a lot of decent assets on that team, good coach, obviously moving into their new stadium in LA. Um, I think that's a team I'm interested in. Uh, who have, I believe will have a positive record. I think they could go 9-7, and seven, um, but it really depends on how the, how the quarterback fares. Denver Broncos, um, I still think they're rebuilding. Um, there's not a huge amount for me with them. Nah, I'm, I'm so keen on the Denver Broncos, mate. I am so here for it. I think it, this is a real hot take and such a, such a don't, out, don't out of the spectrum. Huh? Don't tell me they're going to win this division. No, I'm going to say that Drew Locke, their, their quarterback, is an outside chance for, this, for the MVP race. What? He has, they have stacked him with weapons. Yeah, he started coming to, an, he finished last season brilliantly, won four out of his last five. He's a good quarterback, he's mobile, they picked him in the second round, and they've just given him so many weapons. They drafted two wide receivers with their first two picks in the draft. They've got Noah Fant, who's a tight end, who they took in the top, definitely the top 15 last year, who's an unreal talent. They've obviously got Philip Lindsay at running back. And they also brought in his tight end from Missouri University this year. I think, honestly, the Broncos, they're ready to go for it. They are my outside shot. Definitely a wild card. And Drew Locke, I think, is going to have a standout season. I know... You're not a fan of Drew Locke. I don't know whether they can win the AFC West. I don't know. Basically because Kansas City, they have 20 out of 22 Super Bowl starters returning next year. Plus first round running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire coming into that sort of, into that mix. I don't know if the Broncos can beat out Kansas City in the AFC West. But I, I honestly think keep a real eye on the Denver Broncos and Drew Locke. I'm going to make a note of this. It was on the 18th of June. <laughs> six months time, 18th of December, we're going to look at this. When Tom tipped Drew Locke for potential MVP. Mate, can you imagine if I got it right? I mean, yeah, the, the odds, I don't think a book would even give you odds for that, but the odds you would get from me phenomenal. I like that because we're going to compare how close we were in six months time because you are tipping them to not possibly win the division, but for a wildcard spot and a potential MVP. I'm saying they will come fourth. What? No way. I don't believe in any of it. I don't believe in any of it. I'm excited to see Oakland um, with, with uh, Terrell Ruggs. I'm excited to see the Chargers because I think they were very unlucky last year and they'll be energised by new quarterbacks. 
I think the Chiefs will win another 12 games that they did last season quite comfortably. So I am saying that the Broncos will definitely not win eight games. But you are saying... The Broncos, they they brought in Jerry Judy on many people's boards, the best receiver in the draft. They brought in KJ Hamler, who is absolute lightning from Penn State. Let me just check it is KJ Hamler. Um, they, they're, they're ready to win now, mate. And I will, I will hold you to it. I'm excited. I'd love to be proven wrong. But I don't see them competing at level. I think the Chargers are a sleeping giant in this division. I don't think five wins are fair enough on them at all. I saw them beat Packers, I remember, last year in a game where it really proved the ability they have on defence, especially. Um, so let, let's see. Maybe, maybe it's a division that's more open than we originally thought just looking at it. Because if I think the Chargers could come second and you've got the Broncos going for the Super Bowl, then... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, Broncos, they've, I've got um, Drew Locke as a... They're going to get a wild card. And I've got Drew Locke as an outside MVP candidate. No, I've, I've, got, I've got this up in a spreadsheet now. So I might as well write it down. You've got this. Give me your standings. Give me your four, first of four in this division. Kansas City, one. Broncos two taking the wild card, so they go like ten and six, maybe nine and seven. Oh, I'll give them a star because you can give out three wild card spots over this division because we know it's now being expanded to seven per division. Oh yeah, of course. Seven for, oh, the, well, seven for the NFC. Well, they're definitely going to be in the wild card then. Um, <laughs> then Chargers, then Raiders, but it's, this is a tight division, definitely, definitely. Okay, so we, we got this down. This will be good because in about six months' time, exactly, it will probably be the last game of the season or last couple of games. Uh, so we can review these standings. I've got, obviously, Kansas Kansas wins division. I've got Kansas winning. I've got the Chargers coming second with a star by their name for the wild card. I've then got Oakland in third, and I've got the Broncos in fourth. No way. Bro- Drew Locke's weapons. Drew Locke won four out of his last five games last season. They've got Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Cortland Sutton, Philip Lindsay, Noah Fant, that is, that is a recipe for victory. And don't forget their defence. We're forgetting Super Bowl MVP Von Miller. Yep. Was he the MVP? I think yeah, he was. I believe he was, yeah. Von Miller. And they got their, their number five pick from two years ago. Um, Nick, not, not Nick Chubb, Bradley Chubb, who was injured. He's tremendous. Don't, don't write off the Broncos. I'm, the only thing I'm looking at now... Uh, in terms of the Broncos, and because you've made a lot of strong points, and you've, you've mentioned that they won, is it four of the last five games? Yeah. Four of the last five games. Let me just go to the... Oh, let me check that. I'm not trying to disprove you in that sense at all. I'm just looking at their um, 2019 games. Here we go. I accept. Here we go. Yes, they did win four of the last five games. Um, why is ESPN being so useless? <laughs> the Chargers by three points. They then beat Houston by 13. Huge. Uh, they beat out 23-3 by Kansas, but I'll, I'll give you that, Super Bowl winners. Um, they then beat Detroit uh, 27-17, and then they beat Oakland by a point. Oh, ready to go. Ready to win. Drew Locke, MVP candidate. Uh, their, their, their Kansas results over last season were a loss of 36 and 23-3. Um, so tough ones, tough ones in Kansas, but any team struggled against Kansas. I'm excited. Look, the results improved once Locke came in. I'm looking at it. Flacco lost his first four games with them. He also lost games uh, later on. As soon as Locke came in, Locke did win four out of five. So look, you may well prove me wrong. I'm excited to see that division more than I was even at the start of this conversation. So <laughs> that's a great yeah. start. Let's go to the north, I'd say, because that's got a team we talked about probably most of any last year. Um, in the Baltimore Ravens and, and then the next to them the second most team talked about was the Cleveland Browns so we've got AFC North with Baltimore Pittsburgh Cleveland and Cincinnati Bengals now with Joe Burrow uh, the Baltimore Ravens stormed this division winning 14 games um, with only two losses uh, followed by the 8-8 eight eight Steelers the Browns won 6 the Bengals won 2 um, that's how I see it forming this year as well Tom what about you? well I don't know. We're going to go from one potential MVP last year, Drew Locke, next year, Drew Locke, to the MVP this year in Lamar Jackson, front cover of Madden, incredible season. And to me, yeah, it's definitely the Ravens to lose 100%. They're number one. And let's not forget. So they got their two losses were against 
Cleveland, I believe, early doors where Nick Chubb ran right through them. And then obviously they lost in the playoffs as well when Derek Henry ran right through them. And so they've obviously thought, you know where we need to strengthen defensive line. They brought in probably the most sort of robust defensive player we could imagine in Calais Campbell, an incredible addition. And then yep. Patrick Queen as their um, first round pick, the LSU, sorry, an LSU player who obviously won the uh, national championship uh, at college. So for me, it's definitely the Ravens to lose. And you know what? They've got even better. So their offense is stacked. It's the same offense essentially as last year, yep. but, but a year in advance. They're stacked. Defense, they might have sorted out the one problem that they had last year. It's the Ravens to lose. Yeah. And from there, I don't know. I think I really see, I've said, I said it last year actually as well. I think the Cleveland Browns are one to watch. And you oh, know yeah. The problem, and this to be fair, it's, it's, it's the last year for Baker Mayfield, really. It's his last chance to try and prove himself, yeah. in my opinion. His first year, they blamed the coach. Hugh Jackson was fired. Last year, they blamed the coach and GM. Um, Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey were all both let go. This year, they brought in Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry as the GM. And they seem to be really smart guys. Andrew Berry went to Harvard. I don't know how much that has an effect on things. But they're really switched on. They seem to have a really good draft. And maybe this sort of calmness. You haven't heard nearly as much drama out of um, Cleveland as you did last summer. And that can only be good for Baker. He's got so many weapons. It's ridiculous. How good is Ben Roethlisberger going to be when he comes back? That's going to be the big thing, really, isn't it? Can Pittsburgh really use that to their advantage and catapult themselves back up towards the Ravens at the top of this division? I don't see the Bengals. I really see the Bengals really struggling, you know. Like, we're talking about there not being a proper offseason and it might be really difficult for new quarterbacks coming in. It's going to be all right for the veterans, someone like Tom Brady coming into a new system. But Joe Burrow, in his first season in the NFL, he's going to be thrown in as the starter. This is, this is tough, really tough in this division. Yeah, I, um, I feel a bit for Joe Burrow. I mean, obviously, it's, all, it's always kind of the way it works for, for number one quarterback picks, and uh, Baker Mayfield knows that too well. Um, that it's tough going into a system like this. And actually, talked about Joe Flacco a fair bit, it maybe benefited Lamar Jackson that when he first went to the Ravens, he could sit behind Joe Flacco. Um, and now, as we say, he was MVP. Um, I don't see the Bengals getting... I think they'll maybe get more than two wins because they'll have an improvement at quarterback. Um, but they are still not going to do well in this division. I think the Browns versus Steelers rivalry, which was ignited, obviously, so much last year um, with the whole incident of Mason Rudolph and Miles Garrett. Um, I think that will be an interesting battle. And you're right, it really depends on whether Big Ben can go back to where Big Ben was Remember, when Big Ben was at his kind of top level in the time we've been watching, he had Brown and Bell next to him. He had kind of the league's top five running back and wide receiver. He doesn't have those weapons anymore. Um, obviously, they've been replaced by different talents like Smith-Schuster um, and the like. But I see it going Ravens, Steelers, Browns, Bengals, in my view. Um, I'm going to go Ravens, Browns to get in the wild card, Pittsburgh, Bengals. I'll tell you, it's a fun fact, okay? I'm, tell you, I'm saying that it's Baker's sort of last year to prove himself before yeah. the Browns have to think really long and hard about whether they go a different direction. Um, football, pro Football Focus do this like, analysis, loads of in-depth stats and stuff like this. And they're really good for some things, and sometimes the numbers can tell a bit of a lie, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But they did this analysis of how, much, how many more points a starting quarterback's worth compared to their backups, okay? So someone like Russell Wilson, they rated as... So the average NFL game is decided by four points. So anything above that, you're sort of worth a game, let's say. Russell Wilson was worth 12 points more than his backup, okay? Yeah. Um, Patrick Mahomes was worth something similar, I think something like 11 points more. The lowest on the list was Baker Mayfield... <laughs> who is worth, apparently, according to um, Ford Focus, <laughs> Pro Football Focus, only one and a half points more than Case Keenum, the backup. Wow. Case Keenum has taken um, the Vikings to the um, NFC championship, yeah. championship game, yeah. So, yeah. it's a bit less. Well, I, I, I rate Case Keenum in a similar bracket to Nick Foles, to be honest. I mean, Nick Foles is slightly more 
attention, but in my mind, they're, they're one and the same. But um, that's interesting, definitely. And maybe it shows that Baker Mayfield is, is more talked than players. I've always believed he is, um, and you staunchly defended him. I'm just saying I've got uh, Steelers getting a star on my little table here. They're going to a wildcard spot as well. Um, I just think they're a team that hasn't had a losing season in uh, nearly two decades, I believe. And I back Mike Tomlin. Um, I think they'll come through and win more than eight games last year. At a good end to the season as well. Come at the end of the season with the Broncos, I think the Steelers had a very decent end to the season. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of disruption to form um, when there's been so many months of, of no training like we've seen. Um, moving on to the AFC East, I think, which I honestly believe is the most interesting, if not exciting, division in the NFL next year. You have, just to quickly summarise it, I'm sure Tom's got a lot of opinions on it, you've got the quarterback those Patriots in terms of established quarterback. You've got the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen, who is possibly now the most experienced quarterback in the division in his third <laughs> year. You've got Sam Darnold leading the Jets with Joe Flacco in reserve, but Sam Darnold has played less than 16 starting games since he joined the Jets. And then you've got Tua, who has sold more jerseys than anyone in history in this first month or something ridiculous, leading the Dolphins. Um, I think this division will have a crazy set of results. I think no team is going to win more than eight, nine games, but I think it could be very, very close. I think it could go down to the last couple of games. The idea of the Patriots having a losing season is just so... It just doesn't feel right. Not doesn't feel right because I have any affiliation with the Patriots. It just doesn't look right. It's like it's like when when Man United have bad seasons and they come eighth or ninth. That's one thing. But they're not going to come bottom half. They're just too big to come bottom half. But no team is too big, especially the NFL when you have the draft and you have the you know the way that teams get settled and you have salary cap. No team is too big to fail. And we have a reliance on one position. Right. Exactly. And when, but there is such a reliance on one position in the NFL, like you say, and they've lost Tom Brady, their 22-year, six-time NFL um, uh, Super Bowl winner. So how on earth do I see this division actually panning out? I think Dolphins will do better than they did last year. And the Jets will do better than they did last year. I think the Bills will be about the same. And I think the Patriots will not win 12 games, which kind of leaves me still with them all very close. Um, <laughs> Tom, I want to put it on to you first to try and get any clarity on this. I think it'll be really tight. Well, yeah, and a lot of it will go down to the schedule, won't it? So, obviously, every single team in the NFL has a different schedule to every other team. So, unlike in the English Premier League football, where everyone plays everyone, everyone's schedule is different. So, a lot of it will impact who plays who. They obviously play each other in the division twice. I reckon all those games... It'd be very close in all of them. For me, it's Buffalo's to lose. And I think the pressure is now really on Josh Allen. They brought in Stefan Diggs from the Vikings, which is a massive signing for Buffalo. The only thing really lacking from their offense last year was a standout wide receiver. And he is an over-the-top receiver. And you mentioned Josh Allen's arm. Well, go get it, Stefan, I reckon. But for me, the, the Brady-less Patriots... What are they going to be doing? We, we mentioned potentially last year about maybe the fact that they might be... Now, I hate using this word tanking. It, it might, we spoke about it a little bit last year, even the year before that. And now I really don't like the word because I yeah. don't think that professional players can deliberately tank. I honestly don't think they can. So, But are the head office of the Patriots preparing further down the line, let's say? Let's say, are they looking long-term? Are they? It's a question. It's not. I'm not saying they are. Yeah, no, you're right. They're going to have Jared Stidham as their quarterback, who I heard some ridiculous analysts say that he raced him really highly today, higher than Tua. And I was like, what? How can you possibly do that? He was, incidentally, he was a rookie last year, and he did have the best preseason out of any rookie. That's but, the preseason is so ludicrous in the NFL. <laughs> it, makes, it makes the football preseason in the UK look professional. I mean, it's... It's, it's, it's not a serious concept, um, so that doesn't count for me. It's the Buffalo Bills to lose for me, and after that, it's going to be really close. I mean, Dolphins with two, yeah, they're an improved side. Dolphins spend a lot of money as well. Dolphins, yeah. Dolphins have been shopping. Dolphins want to win. If not, if not now, then maybe in the next couple of years. They've got Ryan Fitzpatrick as well as their quarterback, so maybe he goes ahead of Tua. It all depends on how much they want to protect Tua. They brought in... They obviously had three 
first round picks. They've brought in an offensive lineman to protect Tua. They've brought Byron Jones in. They paid him the most out of any cornerback ever at the time to come in from the Cowboys as cornerback. I don't know. The Dolphins, for me, could be exciting. You can't, as you say, how can, how can the Patriots lose, have a losing season? It's I know. mind-boggling. And that's why I think, as you say, with the tanking, the idea of tanking is so ridiculous because even if the Patriots wanted to, there's too much winning mentality in that organisation yeah. for them to even they had a losing record. There's no way they're going to have a record in the bottom five in the, in the league, which is what they would need to have any chance of landing Trevor Lawrence. So, still got Bill Belichick, let's not forget. Yeah, they've always still got Bill Belichick and they've still got a, a defence that was top five in the league. Like, there's no... And that, and that shouldn't be forgotten in the sense that we're talking about all these young quarterbacks coming in. They're still facing a very, very strong Patriots defence. Um, so they're not going to be scoring high points against them. I've, I've, I've hesitated to guess so like your, your start of your calling that division. I've got Bills followed by Dolphins. Is that where you were going? Yeah, I think so. I think for me it's going to be Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, Jets. But the bottom three are going to be really close. How could, the Jets have to get good at some point, Will, don't they? That's been said for a while. I mean... The the issue at the moment is obviously it doesn't look like Le'Veon Bell is getting on with the coach and it doesn't look like well he's got another season to do it and obviously he took a whole season out of the sport but he has to return to his kind of um, uh, all pro form to really help the two the two quarterbacks Jets have Sam Donald inexperienced and Joe Flacco possibly washed up even if he can offer a lot of nuggets of of knowledge I don't think they sorted out wide receiver they lost Robbie Anderson who was a kind of somewhere between a first and second string um, ride receiver in terms of being kind of a, a number one ride receiver, as they say. Uh, the Jets brought in Richard Perriman to Tampa Bay. I don't even think he's number one ride receiver to help their chance in this league. The Bills, I, I agree with you, they're a little bit like Leicester in the sense that they kind of overperformed for a couple of years because they were so bad before. But now it's like, no, actually, now you are good. Now you have to push on. Yeah. Take yeah. advantage. If you have two years of momentum... Unless you push on, you're going to fall back into mediocrity when they have to see themselves as an organisation which can really take a grip on this league division now. And I have the Bills winning it as well. Um, I kind of endlessly, hopelessly have the Jets pushing into second place. Those words came out of my mouth, Tom. I kind of swallowed them being like, you don't believe this. <laughs> you don't actually believe this. And actually, I'm going to revise that immediately. I actually, on the contrary cannot see the Pats or the Patriots not winning at least eight, nine games. And I think that will be enough to come second in this division. So I'm going to put down Bills, followed by the Patriots. So I think that will be enough to get a wild card spot with the seven spots available now. Whoa. Followed by Jets, followed by Dolphins. That, that's more out of hope than out of serious <laughs> expectation. Um, but I'm, I'm who, do you, who do you think will we'll get more wins next season? The Denver Broncos or the New York Jets? <laughs> that silence is, is Will looking at his predictions yeah. and thinking there's <laughs> something wrong here covering. looking at the rosters. I mean, I will take Sam Darnold over Drew Locke every day. I'll take Sam Darnold with Mono over Drew Locke <laughs> on his best day. I'm, I'm committed to that. So, the, the Jets, hence why the Jets are going to finish third in their division yeah. and the Broncos are going to finish bottom, as I've said. Nice. But that is, that is a division which I think will have possibly low-scoring but exciting games, definitely worth watching, and I think won't be decided until very late on. And the Patriots saga will, all the way through, especially if the Patriots have a bad start, I think that will really reverberate around the NFL, that no team is unbeatable, no team is worth more than their quarterback. Um, is what is the way it will go with it. Um, the kind of message that will go alongside it. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, I'm excited to see if the Jets can take advantage of the kind of weakened Patriots, the Jets fan myself. Um, and finally, I guess we have to talk to you about the AFC South, which the Texans are... We, we talked about our like, off-season review and um, the Texans kind of messing that up so bad. I think we gave them like a C. Um, I mean, I mean... Talk us through, Tom, where the Texans just went so wrong. Oh, they just, they, they traded their star, the best wide receiver in the NFL, in my opinion. He was, last year on Madden, which is the, the, the game, the sort of the FIFA of the NFL world, he was the only player rated 99 at the start of the season. And they traded him to the Cardinals for a second round 
draft pick and you're just like, what on earth? Deshaun Watson is this incredible quarterback who does stupid things. A clip that you have to watch is him versus Buffalo in the playoffs last year where he just bounces off two would-be tacklers and throws uh, – it was a first down, wasn't it? Which yeah. sets him up for the winning um, field goal or winning touchdown. It was incredible. And they're just abandoning him. There are so many jokes about um, the, the GM for the Texans and stuff like, oh, I don't know. It's just so funny. And it's just, for me, this, this division there for the taking, if they're just ready to go and get it. Yeah, I, I see it as very, very open as well because the Titans came through late last year with, with this kind of resurgence of Tannehill and this brute force of Derrick Henry. Um, but there's no guarantee that they can continue out into the next season. You see these kind of late season pushes sometimes and you never hear from them again. You've got the Colts with Philip Rivers now. How's that going to work out? I mean, obviously, what I've said about the Chargers indicates that they were unlucky last year and that he was an 11-12 win quarterback. But the proof wasn't there because they didn't win those games. And, you know, to get to those playoffs and to have those big kind of successful seasons, you do have to win those games. They're taken away from that. They did bottle games. They didn't get games over the line. Um, there were some really horrendous kind of last-minute uh, mess-ups that cost them games. So how much of that was the coaching? How much was that the team mentality? How much of that was Philip Rivers? We won't really know until we see the performances of the Chargers and the Colts this year. Um, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't really know how they won six games last year. Yeah. Um, I think they're far and away one of the kind of three, four weakest teams in the NFL, um, along with the Bengals. So I think we'll both have them in, in fourth. And they, if we're talking about that horrible tanking words, um, they could do with someone like Trevor Lawrence because um, uh, there's absolutely no way um, their quarterback solution is uh, him with the headband. I've got no names today. Gardner Minshew. There's no way the Gardner Minshew is their long-term quarterback as solution as much as he entertains us on a weekly basis um, in his kind of slightly cartoon character style. Um, I've got the Texans winning because I mean, there's, there is still yeah. Yeah. talent on, on the roster with, with JJ Watt and uh, uh, Watson and, and the rest of it. To... It potentially opens the door to other players, someone like Will Fuller, who they did take in the first round. He's a really talented wide receiver and it opens the door for him to maybe have a standout season someone who might have hidden behind um, DeAndre Hopkins a little bit and yeah for me it is definitely Houston's to lose and the Titans maybe can they push for a playoff spot can they reignite the same sort of energy they had last year can they sort out Derek Henry's contract I know he's franchise tagged for next year but that will be an interesting topic of discussion if he starts talking about wanting a real long-term deal yeah Uh, it'll be also really interesting to see how Philip Rivers does at the Colts because he's obviously going into sort of the, um, the twilight years of his career. He doesn't think so. He certainly doesn't think so. He thinks he's still ready to go. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how he gets on at the Colts considering they drafted um, Jacob Eason in the yeah. fourth round. Yeah, they drafted him one spot ahead of Jake Fromm, um, which is when everyone, or one quarterback spot, I guess. Yeah. And have Jake Fromm, which when everyone really realised it was going badly for Jake Fromm um, because he was certainly four be higher than that. But uh, yeah, I think the Colts will be interesting. And I mean, the Titans finished nine and seven. The Colts finished seven and nine, mainly because of that surge from the Titans at the end. Um, but the Colts were kind of comfortably in second for most of that division, um, and the Texans also had a really poor run. So those results in those top three teams, I think, could still um, really go away. But I personally would have. Uh, Texans, Colts, Titans, Jaguars. I'm not. I'm still not 100% convinced by Tannehill. Uh, they were unbelievably reliant on Derek Henry in a lot of those games, despite decent stats from, from Tannehill. It was Henry that very much literally took them over the line. Um, so I'm going to say Texans, Colts, Titans, Jaguars. I, I, I would agree, potentially maybe Colts and Titans, maybe like the difference of a game. Maybe one goes 9-7, the other goes 7-9, maybe. But I think Houston, is, again, similar to Buffalo, it's Houston have the best quarterback there. And so, shit is pressure on them, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that kind of wraps up our, our predictions. Some of the slightly more, I don't know if you'd agree with me here, some of the slightly more 
flashier talked about teams, obviously other than the the Ravens and the and the Chiefs, um, possibly sit in the NFC at least right now. But there are some really interesting divisions. You've got the drama between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Can Baltimore renew their power and their surge and their unbelievable lightning kind of style that Lamar Jackson brought to them? What will happen in the AFC East? I think nobody really knows. You could, nobody could put their money right now on a top four standing in that division, especially not a, a winner or the kind of second and third positions. Um, we massively disagree in the West on the Broncos, so that's going to be interesting to see play out. Um, with I must reiterate Tom Lush stating that Drew Dog is a potential MVP candidate. Um, and finally, the South is, is, is up for grabs within the Titans, the Texans and the Colts, only separated by a couple of games last year. So lots, lots to look forward to. Um, we're missing the NFL. I'm sure you're missing the NFL. Um, and our aim with these off-season weekly is to kind of bring the NFL that is still there to you and also discuss content which leads up to the new season, which will come sooner than it feels, I'm sure. Um, just got to wait and hope that all those games continue safely uh, in the way that we would love them to. Awesome. End of, end of episode one of off-season weekly. We'll definitely... Catch you next week. Keep looking out for content. If you want any content reviewed, talked about, shouted out, drop the Facebook page, tuck down with someone will a message and we'll, we'll definitely include it. I mean... Yep. And we'll, we'll, we'll actually throw those clips of those off-season workouts we mentioned uh, on the Facebook page because they are fun to watch. It is fun. This is Down the sideline, it's caught, touchdown! Brady pumps, looking for Brown deep, and throwing for Brown. He's got it at the 30, the 20, the 10, the Patriots!